Please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now in your Bibles, over the top of Luke chapter 4, is probably this statement. The temptation of Jesus. Uh, And in Luke chapter 4, in the next 13 verses, we have uh, outlined by Luke this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now this event was key in the life of Jesus. And we see it actually mentioned in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it must have been a very important event in the life of Jesus. Now it's interesting that Luke chapter 4 begins this way. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, Luke chapter 4, obviously before Luke chapter 4 comes Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, we see John the Baptist comes into the Jordan and he's preaching this message of repentance and people are being baptized in the river Jordan. And Jesus comes to John and he is baptized. And as soon as Jesus is baptized, we see that the heavens are opened and the spirit comes to descend upon him and rests upon him. And God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus here is full of the Spirit. For for 30 years, Jesus has lived in relative obscurity, just growing up in Nazareth, the son of, you know, a carpenter, and, and and just in relative obscurity. But now, at the baptism, at his baptism, the Spirit has come to descend on him like a dove. And then it says that full of the Spirit, he returns from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, it's interesting that this passage, Luke chapter 4, can be seen from two angles. From one angle, we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So God had a purpose for Jesus' wilderness experience. But also as we read about what happened with Jesus in the wilderness, we see that he was tempted by Satan. And so Satan had a purpose for Jesus in the wilderness. You see, God's purpose was for the wilderness experience to build Jesus, whereas Satan's purpose was to destroy Jesus. God's purpose was through the wilderness experience, Jesus would be strengthened, whereas Satan's purpose was that he would be weakened. You know, God's purpose was to affirm that Jesus was his son, whereas Satan's purpose was to disqualify Jesus from being the Messiah. And so you can really read Luke chapter 4 from two angles. And so what I want to do over the next two weeks on the podcast is actually take Luke 4 apart and look at it from these two different angles from the angle of how we overcome the temptations of the enemy, and also then from the angle of how God actually uses those same temptations to test us and to grow us as his people. And so first today, we're going to look on the podcast at how God uses, about how we can actually overcome the temptations of the enemy. Because every single one of us are tempted by the enemy. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that clip called the marshmallow experiment. But in this clip, they'll take like a toddler 
and they put them in a room in front of the camera and they put a marshmallow in front of them. And they say to them, you know, if you're able to like not eat that marshmallow while we've gone, when we come back, we will give you five marshmallows. If you're able to not eat, if you don't give into temptation and you don't eat that marshmallow, then when we come back, we will give you five marshmallows. And so the person leaves the room and obviously the, the toddler is in front of a camera and you just see them squirming. You see them like just, you know, just in the, in the grip of temptation. And obviously many of them, they, you know, they take the, the marshmallow and they eat it. They give into temptation. Well, we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to be in the grip of temptation. And many, many times we also give in to temptation. You know, as a young Christian, I thought I was the only one who struggled with temptation. And I thought I was the only one who often gave in to temptation. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And in Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus is tempted in the ways that we are commonly tempted. You know, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17, he says, do not love the world nor anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life does not come from the Father, but from the world. You know, in this temptation in Luke chapter 4, in the temptations of Jesus, we see Satan coming to Jesus and tempting him in these three similar domains. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Firstly, we see him coming and tempting Jesus with the lust of the flesh. In verse 3 of Luke chapter 4, we read this. After Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and had eaten nothing, we read in verse 3 that the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, then command this stone to become bread. As I said, Jesus had gone without food for 40 days. and Luke says that at the end of that period, he was hungry. And so the enemy came to him and said, why don't you just command these stones that are right there to become bread? You know, the first way that the enemy often tempts us is he tempts us to take a legitimate need that we have and seek to fulfill it outside of God's good will for our lives. You know, as human beings, we have legitimate needs. We have legitimate physical needs. We have legitimate emotional needs. We have legitimate relational needs. You know, often when I'm counseling young guys who are struggling with lust, I'll say to them, you know, that the fact that you burn with passion, with passion is not wrong because God has actually created that. God has actually created that legitimate need that you have. But it does become wrong when you take that need and you seek to fulfill it outside of God's good will for your life. You know, I don't forget one time this older lady in my church, she came to me. She had become a Christian in her old age and she was a single lady. And she came to me and, and asked for my counsel. You see, 
there was this guy who was interested in forming a relationship with her and getting married to her. And she asked me what I, I felt about it. Well, I took her to the Bible and I showed her from the scriptures that the Bible actually teaches that for believers, we need to marry unbelievers. That that's God's will for our life, that we not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, as soon as she heard me say that, she said, yeah, but Timon, if I don't get married to this guy, then maybe I'll never have another opportunity. And so she went and she got married to him. Now, we, of course, loved her and continued to have her in our church and, you know, told her to be the very best wife that she could be in order to lead him to Christ, in order to witness to him for Christ. But I'll never forget, she came back to me one time and she said, you know, I never should have done that. I never should have disobeyed what God said in his word. You know, this is the very first way that the enemy will tempt us. It's with the lust of the flesh to take a legitimate need that we have and tempt us to fulfill it outside of God's good will for our lives. You won't, I wonder right now, where is the enemy tempting you to take a legitimate need that you have and fulfill it outside of God's will for your life? Well, the second temptation we see here is not only the lust of the flesh, but the enemy also seeks to tempt Jesus with the lust of his eyes. We read in verse 5 that the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, I will give you this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to you. He's basically, he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and said, Jesus, <laughs> this can be all yours. You know, not only does the enemy seek to actually tempt us in the realm of our appetites, but he also seeks to tempt us in the realm of our attention. He puts these luring things before our eyes. Now, Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 22, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You know, it is true that the images that we place before our eyes, those images eventually go into our hearts and we dwell upon those things and we think about those things and eventually they form our innermost thoughts and then out of our hearts flow our behavior. And so often things start with what we put our attention towards, with what we, 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 we look at with our eyes. You know, this is an, a, especially important for us at, in the culture in which we live because we live at a time where, you know, big tech and, and all these companies are seeking to grab our attention. You know, most of us have smartphones, and I read somewhere once that for majority of people, they will now, they've done studies where majority of people will touch their smartphone over 2,000 times a day. And that's because big tech and with their algorithms and their AI are seeking to keep, grasp our attention and keep us on our devices. Or if you have a streaming service like Netflix, you'll know that as soon as one sort of Netflix episode ends, <laughs> another one almost instantly begins. It loads up and that is to keep you glued to your Netflix, to grasp your attention. 
Because what we put before our eyes, those images, will often go deep into our hearts. We will dwell upon those things. And then out of our hearts will flow the issues of life. Well, not only does Satan get seek to tempt Jesus with the lust of his flesh and the lust of his eyes, but finally he seeks to tempt Jesus with the pride of life. We see in verse 9 that he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And he said, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, you've just been a carpenter up until this point. All that anyone's ever known you as is probably a carpenter. But if you throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, then God will send his angels. They will bear you up and you will become famous, Jesus. Your fame will spread. You know, if the enemy can't get us with the lust of our flesh, or if he can't get us with the lust of our eyes, he will then seek to get us with the pride of life. If he can't get us with our appetites or if he can't get us and grasp our attention, he will then seek to ruin us with selfish ambition. You know, the medieval church, when they were listing off the seven deadly sins, they put at the top of that list pride because they believed that pride led to all the other sins. Because when we come become proud, we think that things won't happen to us. <laughs> We think that we are impervious to temptation. And while other people may fall, we never will. You know, I remember um, uh, reading this story. It was actually a very fictitious story. Uh, it was about a senior demon and a junior demon. And this junior demon, he was given the assignment to go and tempt a monk who was out in the desert praying. And this junior demon tried to tempt this monk with, like, women and with wealth. But nothing seemed to be working. And so he came and he reported back to the more senior demon. And he said, I, I just can't seem to, to get this monk to slip up in any way. Well, the senior demon said, what you need to do is you need to whisper these words into his ears. Whisper into his ears these words. You know, you are the most godliest monk there is. You're more godly than every other monk in the monastery. You're in fact probably the most godliest monk in the world. Well, as soon as that junior demon whispered those words into the monk's ear, a smile came across the monk's face from ear to ear, and he knew that he had him. You know, if the enemy can't get us with the lust of our flesh, and he can't get us with the lust of our eyes, then he will seek to get us with pride. You know, I know what this is like. You know, when I was a pastor, uh, particularly after I'd done a particular, like, you know, time of ministry, a particular intense time of ministry, you know, the enemy, he would come and whisper into my ear, Timon, you know, you deserve this forbidden pleasure. You deserve this little bit of sin. You know, look at what you've done for God. You've done all these things for God. Surely, surely God would allow you this, just this little bit of sin to enjoy. And he would say to me, you know, besides Timon, 
You know, while all others will fall and it, while it might be a problem for everyone else, it won't be a problem for you. You'll be okay. You, you know, you, nothing will happen to you because of this sin. But whenever I gave into that temptation, I actually found myself filled with sorrow. You know, because that's the thing about temptation. What the enemy will do is he often shows us the bait, but he hides the hook. Just as when we seek to catch fish, we will, you know, bait up a hook and the fish will come swimming along and they only see the bait, but they don't see the hook. In the same way, the enemy will only show us the bait and he won't show us the hook. And it's only after we've bitten down on the bait that we realize that we've been caught by that particular temptation. So the enemy came to Jesus and he sought to tempt him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of his eyes and the pride of life. You see, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. You know, you will be tempted in the same way in these three domains, in the domain of your appetites, in the domain of your attention, what you set your eyes upon, and in the domain of ambition. The enemy will come and seek you to be filled with selfish and pride-filled ambitions. But not only does that verse say, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, Paul goes on to say, he goes on to write, but God is faithful. When you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to stand up under it. You know, temptation is not inevitable. It's not inevitable that you will sin when you are tempted. You don't have to sin when you're tempted. And temptation is not sin. It's just temptation. You know, Jesus was tempted here in Luke chapter 4. But in the words of his little brother James, James chapter 4 verse 7, he resisted the devil. And right at the end, we see in verse 13 that the devil departed from him. He resisted the devil and the devil, the devil fled. And you know, it will be the same for you and me. We can resist the devil and he will flee from us. So how do we overcome temptation? Well, how did Jesus overcome temptation in Luke chapter 4? Well, what we see firstly is that Jesus responded to these temptations of the enemy with the word of God. Three times Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now, I think when Jesus quotes from the word of God, he quotes from the word of God, not because the word of God is somehow magical, but what Jesus is basically saying is he's basically saying, this issue is settled. This is what the word of God says. And because the word of God says it, this issue is settled. You know, many of the reasons why we actually fall in temptation is because the issues are not settled in our hearts according to the Word of God. You know, that's the reason why that lady I mentioned earlier, why she fell in temptation, was because the issue wasn't settled in her mind. She hadn't, which she was not resting upon what God's Word actually says. You know, one of the things that you can do is you can actually, why don't you write out on a piece of paper on one side of the paper all of the sins that you are tempted to do. Write those things down. And then on the other side of the paper, look in God's word for what God's word says about those things. 
You know, I did that a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing for this message. I just wrote down what God's word says about all the sins that, you know, I struggle with. And I realized for every one of those sins, God has an answer. God has a standard. And so you see, the first step in overcoming temptation is to settle the issue according to God's word. This is what God says. This is his standard. This is how he wants me to respond. But still, you might say, yes, I know how God wants me to respond. But I still feel absolutely powerless in temptation. Uh, my problem is not what not knowing what God says. My problem is I just feel so weak and so powerless when it comes to temptation. Well, Major Ian Thomas, he was a preacher from last century, and he had this fantastic saying. He used to say these words. He can't, you can't, he never can't said you could. But he can, and he always said he would. You see, the reality is, is that we were never meant to live the Christian life in our own strength. We were always meant to rely on the strength of another. And it's interesting that in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we read about Jesus, that Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led full of the Spirit. You know, the only way to overcome temptation is not only to know what God's Word says, but it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think of the filling of the Holy Spirit like we are containers <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is a liquid that just gets poured into us. But this is not how the Bible describes the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible uses the word pleureo or filled or to be filled with the Spirit in a very interesting way. The Bible says that we can be filled with anger, or we can be filled with envy, or we can be filled with jealousy. Now, when you're filled with anger, what are you, what are you? You are actually controlled by that anger. Your anger is controlling your responses and how you speak. When someone's angry, angry we, we say they lose it. They, they lose that sense of control. They're, now their anger is controlling the way they're responding and what they're saying. You know, in the same way, what it means to be filled with the Spirit is it means to be controlled by the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit not means, means that we, not that we get more of the Holy Spirit, but rather that we surrender more of control over to the Holy Spirit. You see, before James says, resist the devil, he actually says, submit yourself to God. So you can overcome temptation not only by knowing what God's Word says, but also by surrendering control over to God. In the midst of temptation, just surrender yourself over to God and say, God, I submit myself now to you. I want to be obedient to you. I want to, in faith, trust that you will strengthen me through this temptation. But thirdly, it's really interesting that in this passage, we see that in verse 2, it says, For 40 days, Jesus ate nothing. Now, over in Matthew's gospel, in his account of the same incident, um, Matthew says something interesting. He says that Jesus was fasting for 40 days. 
Now, what is fasting? Well, fasting is going without um, something in order to actually have your soul strengthened. Typically, you go without food in order to, to strengthen your soul spiritually. And you see, what I think was happening is that Jesus knew that he was heading into intense battle. And because he was heading into intense battle, he needed spiritual resources. And so that's why he was fasting for 40 days to actually strengthen him himself spiritually. You see, if you are going to overcome in temptation, then you are going to need spiritual strength. And we get spiritual strength from spiritual disciplines like fasting, like praying every day, like reading our Bibles, like memorizing scripture. These things give us spiritual strength. You know, I am not really, I grew up on a farm, but I'm not really a farm boy. And I'll never forget this one time. It was when I was 14. My dad said to me, Timon, we're going out working today. And in order to work, you're going to need a good breakfast. And I was just like, yeah, dad, whatever, whatever. And so I think I just skipped breakfast because I was trying to sleep in to the maximum amount of time before we had to go to work. And my dad, he had his normal breakfast, which, you know, as a farmer consisted of eggs and it consisted of some meat. And he had, I think, a few... Uh, we we bits, you know, he really fueled up. Well, I just, you know, without having any, I just skipped breakfast and I just jumped straight into the truck to go out for a day's work. And you guessed it, after about an hour, I was just feeling so weak after working for an hour. I just could not continue and I had to sit in uh, our, our car until lunchtime because I was just so weak because I hadn't had the necessary fuel to give me the spiritual strength. You know, maybe the reason that you are defeated when temptation comes is because you are not engaging in spiritual disciplines and therefore you don't have the spiritual resources to get through those moments of battle. So the Bible says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. You know, each and every one of us will be tempted in the same ways. We'll be tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the Bible also says that God is faithful. He has provided a way of escape. You know, we need to go to God's Word and find out what God says and settle the issue. We then need to surrender ourselves to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he empowers us and strengthens us in temptation. And then we need to strengthen our souls through spiritual disciplines so that we will be strengthened for those moments of battle. You know, another, I think another thing that helps us in overcoming temptation is realizing that we will be tempted over and over again. Now, the way to actually grow spiritually is actually in those moments to make the right choices. And spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is actually a whole heap of little choices, of little battles where we actually overcome temptation and say no to temptation and yes to what God wants us to do. But even within that, there will be some failure. <laughs> there will be times where we are defeated, where we do give in and we do slip up. But I think it's important in those moments to know this, <laughs> that Satan is already a defeated foe. 
is that Jesus here in the wilderness, he defeated the enemy. The enemy couldn't trip up Jesus, our Saviour. He emerged from the wilderness victorious <laughs> over Satan, over temptation. And so we stand in his victory. And then he went to the cross and he went to the cross and at the cross, he won a decisive victory, taking upon himself all of our sin, all of our failure, and then rising again victorious. And now he is seated at the Father's right hand. So even if you are feeling right now quite defeated, because maybe you've just recently given into temptation, know this, <laughs> that you can run back to God for forgiveness because your victory ultimately is not on the basis of your performance. <laughs> it's actually based upon Christ's performance. He won in the wilderness and he won at the cross. And we stand ultimately in his victory. And because we stand in his victory, when those moments of temptation come in our daily lives, we can actually settle the issue, rely on the Holy Spirit and say no to temptation, resist the devil. And as the scriptures promise, he will flee from us. Well, I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. And I hope that you'll be able to apply it to your life so that you will become a person who grows to spiritual maturity in Christ. Thank you for listening.